This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's an exciting day here, the Wednesday edition of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We've got Congressman Mike Johnson, uh, chairman of the Republican Study Committee and member of the House Judiciary Committee uh, out of Louisiana. And we know that they are going to be slammed uh, by two, maybe one, uh, possibly two storms. It's now at a cat four. So that's going to be important, as well as talk about the president's hopes. Um, for some reason, they are not spending a lot on ads this week. I find strange. But they are closing in on the polls, and almost by all calculus, Donald Trump is doing better now than he was at this point in 2016. And I thought they had a fantastic night last night. Jillian Turner will bring us inside Washington and uh, all this hour, as well as we'll have your take, one 408 And we know tonight is going to be a big night. Because Mike Pence is going to be speaking, Karen Pence is going to be speaking, but up-and-coming stars are going to be speaking, too, uh, as well as, uh, and that one of those stars, two of them, really, Congressman Dan Crenshaw, the Navy SEAL, and South Dakota Governor Christy Noem. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Protests in Kenosha turning violent for a third straight night. We've just learned moments ago, police confirming that two people were killed, a third person seriously injured. Police still looking for the suspect at this hour. Kenosha unrest hits new heights after the shooting of Jacob Blake as he struggles to recover after being shot seven times as innocent people in buildings are being beaten and burned. Why are we still why do we still know so little about this case? One thing is clear. This governor is overwhelmed in Wisconsin and the president is asking to step in. Please say yes. Number two. Joe Biden should not concede under any circumstances because I think this is going to drag out. And eventually, I do believe he will win if we don't give an inch. Uh, that is Hillary Clinton. What a inappropriate, unbelievably irresponsible thing to say. What is the Dems' reaction to the RNC? And can you believe Hillary Clinton's comments? Uh, that advice to Joe Biden is to contest the election, regardless of how it comes out. Don't ever concede. Are you kidding me? You know what that would do to this country? And even though the DNC's ratings were better on night one, the bounce numbers for the convention are in. And it's two points. Number one. Instead of tearing things down, let's reflect on our mistakes. Be proud of our evolution and look to our way forward. Uh, that is just a little of Melania's speech last night, the First Lady of the United States. The walk was fantastic, and the delivery was great, and the content of the speech was diverse and uh, extraordinarily well delivered. Diversity of topics and speakers. Yes, more surprises, and it's driving the Democrats nuts. As the headlines of the First Lady knocked it out of the park, but unlike Major League Baseball, she did it in front of a crowd. Highlights, recaps, and more are coming your way. So I made some notes last night. First off, this was about working class jobs. So instead of just saying working class jobs, I have an idea. Let's bring working class people in. 
So the impact of lobstermen in Maine. He won tact to the EU, and he said, drop your tariffs. And guess what happened? The lobstermen benefited. And guess what happened during the Obama years? Regulations, environmental concerns, which were unnecessary, almost destroyed them. Steel mills, the tariffs with China, the redo on the USMCA. We saw steel workers. We saw ranchers talk about what fuels them. I, listen, these occupations I don't know a lot about, but I have great respect for it. Now I do. And for farmers, they got the money. They've, they've revolutionized their farms in many cases. They've taken a beating from China, and they've been targeted. I also found out that cows can milk themselves. I had no idea, but evidently that's a technology. We heard about women first in the cam- as a campaign manager, Kellyanne Conway. Mercedes Colwin as a as a uh, Mercedes Colwin, Mercedes Schlapp as a key advisor to the president and spokesperson in communications. Ronna McDaniel running the RNC, a woman. Lara Trump, the sister, the daughter-in-law, playing such a vital role and heading up the re-election campaign. I mean, this is pretty, pretty, pretty dominant. Sarah Sanders being a key advisor and spokesperson. Kaylee McEnany running all things in communications. We know about Hope Hicks and the roles she plays. So when people say unworthy, unable to do the job, not worth the job, no values, no ethics, doesn't treat women right. Really? Tell that to the women that we saw last night. The cancel culture was stared down by a 17-year-old, Nicholas Sandman. His speech was to the point. His future is bright. And all the cable networks, one of which he sued, two of which he sued for defamation, carried his speech where he told the truth about how he happened to stand up as a white kid and want to go to a pro-life speech. He ended up being challenged by a Native American and taunted by a Black Lives Matter guy. And in the end, he was painted as the bad guy. They had to close his school in Kentucky. And he came back all the way back. He sued for the right uh, for his own rights in Second Amendment, uh, First Amendment rights, I should say. And now uh, he is back and playing a major role in supporting the president of the United States. I thought it was really good. And now you also understand this. Joe Biden has to be scripted. The times he wasn't scripted, he has provided the heart and spine of this convention. Think about this. He tells a black anchor who asked him about his cognitive ability, what are you, a junkie? Then he tells a morning show host with a lot of prestige, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Really? Telling us what to think? And saying the black community is monolithic as opposed to the Hispanic community. How insulting can that be? All these times in which he's in the Q&A section with with not substantive interviews, not necessarily hard-hitting interviews, he trips on his own tongue, and it's not because he stutters. Another great moment. Uh, well, I'm just going to give you a little about the first lady. So to tell you about the, the swath of questions, number one, humanize the guy. Let him know that he's a human being, that it is not perfect, but he's a nice guy, and he cares about the country. And he will not stop when he's intimidated. Just because he acts like he'll run through fire and not blink, it doesn't mean he's not a normal person. And here he is, Melania Trump, rounding out what has not been enough in this in this convention, uh, talking about the lootings and violence and also talking about the pandemic. Uh, first off, her story, cut eight. Growing up as a young child in Slovenia, which was under communist rule at the time, I always heard about an amazing place called America, a land that stood for freedom and opportunity. As I grew older, it became my goal to move to the United States. I want to take the moment 
to thank my mother and father for all they have done for our family. It is because of you that I'm standing here today. Living and working in the land of opportunity was a dream come true, but I wanted more. I wanted to be a citizen. After 10 years of paperwork and patience, I studied for the test in 2006 and became an American citizen. So that usually was lauded. Instead, it was mocked by idiots like Bette Midler who says, oh, my God, she still can't speak English. Really? I heard her crystal clear. Number two. Immigration was a big theme, legal immigration. The president swore in some citizens who went through the process, and to me it should be streamlined and made easier uh, for people that have proved themselves and whenever they hit the criteria, it shouldn't be costly. He swears them in. They said it was a stunt. I call it a surprise. Number two, the other thing was pardoning John Ponder. Who was John Ponder? Robbed a bank, got caught. The FBI guy that catches him, he ends up calling him when he gets out of prison after five years. They have lunch. He changes, finds, uh, finds God, and becomes somebody who's trying to help others. His story becomes part of Donald Trump, finds out about it. And then he tells his story, and then John, John Ponder gets surprised. Cut one. Today, praise God, I am filled with hope. A proud American citizen who has been given a second chance. My first help and support came from the unlikeliest of places— the FBI agent who arrested me, Richard Beasley. He is now a dear friend and has been a source of encouragement to me throughout my entire journey. So when you talk about law and order, yes, president wants law and order. But when you talk about criminal justice reform, he understands people need a second chance. They don't want to talk about that. Now, the president could say it was bipartisan because it was. People like Van Jones and other Democrats tried to push this forward. They never did. Mitch McConnell had to be dragged through this. I understand it. But President Trump made it happen. That's part of it. But then he surprised Ponder with this. Cut six. So now I'd like to invite John's wife, Jamie, to join us as I grant John, I'm not sure you know this, a full pardon. So I don't know if you know that, Jamie. Come on over here. It's Thank just you. an honor. And uh, you have done incredible work. Congratulations to both. Thank, Thank you, sir. Thank you. Richard, thank you. That's part of the guy can produce. The RNC in four weeks put together four days. So far, two days have been phenomenal. They've been different. No audience, no emotion necessarily built in. You had to create it, and they did. It's not easy to do three, I guess, two and a half hours. Two and a half hours. They start at 8.30. The network picks up at 10. So far, the ratings trail the DNC, but I would not be concerned. Who is not happy about that? I didn't think anyone, but Van Jones said, I don't like it. Cut seven. You know, I love that he did it. I don't like where he did it and the way he did it. So it's a very good thing uh, to show the country that redemption is possible. But I think it cheapens it when you do it in a political convention and you do it in a political way because then it begins to look like you're just doing it as a stunt. I don't see it that way. I just see it as an example for other people. That's why I'm doing it in front of them, in front of 15 million people. Uh, it gives people hope. one 408 Now, Jillian Turner joins us, brings us inside Washington. Congressman Mike Johnson right after that. And then we'll take your calls at one 408 Busy day. Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, 
Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. President to move the U.S. Embassy to this very city of God, Jerusalem, the rightful capital of the Jewish homeland. And just two weeks ago, the president brokered a historic peace deal between Israel and the United Arab Emirates. This is a deal that our grandchildren will read about in their history books. You know, as a soldier, I saw firsthand people desperate to flee to freedom. The way each of us can best ensure our freedoms is by electing leaders who don't just talk, but who deliver. And wasn't Mike Pompeo's message that's causing controversy, the fact that he did it uh, outside the country in Israel. Joining us now, uh, Jillian Turner, Fox News correspondent, anchor, every Miss Everything, knows everything about Washington and beyond. Jillian, welcome to the Brian uh-huh. Kilmeade Show. Welcome back. Hi, Brian. How are you? Good. So how, how big a deal is it that Mike Pompeo made those made that speech overseas? Well, so talking overnight to sources who do this stuff for a living, meaning folks who are diplomats in this administration, folks who were diplomats in previous administrations, there's really two lines of argument here, okay? So follow me for a second. The first is This was a really good opportunity for this administration, for Pompeo in particular, to showcase um, some achievements that they've made in the Middle East recently, which he did. The pushback from folks is that the Secretary of State not supposed to do this, unprecedented, not supposed to speak about politics really at all, but then especially not supposed to speak about politics from a foreign country. Folks are really, really split on this. And I don't actually think, Brian, it comes down to politics, weirdly enough. I think it comes down to the younger generations versus the older generations over at the State Department. The older folks are saying, no way, this was terrible. The younger folks are saying, well, it's a new era. We're also, we've also never done a convention like this during a pandemic before. So he's got to take some leeway. So, yeah, I read Mark Thiessen's article. He said, spare me. He said uh, Joe Biden attacked Donald Trump when he was at a NATO summit. Barack Obama broke, uh, broke norms by attacking Trump during an official visit to Japan. So this is just a speech about the president. 
Uh, and, you know, he says he's handed, handled it financially. So we'll move on. In Washington, yeah. covering this, covering the president, because it's not really it's not a convention in Charlotte. It's kind of a convention in Washington. That's why uh, our panels are all there, Jillian, and you obviously work there. Um, now, all of a sudden, more media want more access. They were upset that maybe Sean Hannity was in was got better access than everybody else. What are they doing about that? Do you know? I heard about that, and one of the main hubs, there's really two hubs for the convention here. One is obviously the White House, where the president and the first lady um, are speaking from, and then the other is this place downtown near the National Mall called the Mellon Auditorium, and that's what folks are fighting about. They want more access to what's going on uh, inside that venue on an hour-to-hour daily basis. The, the problem here is that credentials are limited because of the pandemic, because of social distancing and testing. Everyone who gets you know, near President Trump needs to be tested. So a lot of this stuff was pre-planned. I think some members of the media are trying to get on the bandwagon a little late in this instance. Um, that's one side. I guess I got to offer the flip side, right? It, the flip side is um, that the Trump campaign should be making sure that representation at all these events um, comes from a variety of outlets. So right. meaning not just outlets that he wants to pick and choose or the White House wants to pick and choose, but, you know, everyone should get something at some point. So we saw the DNC. One of the themes was the president's not up for the job. He can't do the job. He's not up for the challenge, not capable of doing his terrible person. Now you have a series of people talking about, you know, and by the way, he's a racist and sexist. And over the last few days, we had people tell their true story about their interactions with him, humanizing the president, outlining his accomplishment. And I'll tell you what, Jillian, it's beyond reproach. They've had a diverse number of speakers from all walks of life with all backgrounds. It's going to be hard to label Republicans a party of white men. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, it's hard to um, if we're going to evaluate all these speakers at the conventions based on their identity, you know, their gender and their race. It, we got to point out that this has been an especially particularly diverse group of folks speaking at the RNC the last few nights. I also think your point um, is very good about how last night in particular was a direct rebuttal against the case that the DNC laid out last week, that President Trump is unfit, that he is morally bankrupt, that he's a threat to democracy. Last night, you really had Tiffany Trump and the first lady step up and say, you know what? We know this guy better than anyone else. We believe he's decent. And they were actually a very good representation of the family um, writ large. Both two women we don't hear from that much. They don't have that kind of fire and brimstone style that Donald Trump Jr. has. They made the case uh, quite well and quite eloquently that they're a family that is that has a lot of integrity. They're a family that's going to do this with grace. Mm -hmm. um, so I think they were very good spokespeople for also, the president. I also would bring up the Daniel Cameron if I was to put on uh, the attorney general in Kentucky. Oh, yeah. How impressive was he? Uh, he said, uh, he said, hey, Joe Biden, I am black and we are not we are not all the same. Yeah, he was very um I heard folks on our air last night, Brian, comparing his speech last night to um, the speech that put former President Barack Obama on the map from the DNC. They were basically saying, you know, somebody 
here are two men that were essentially brought into the political fray um, during a key night during the convention in order to, um, you know, fulfill an identity role. And mm -hmm. then they surpassed the expectations. Everybody was impressed by them on both right. sides of the aisle. So and he's, got a night for him. he's got a power player in his corner center, Mitch McConnell. Julian Turner, thanks so much for yeah. joining us. You're, yeah. you're doing a killer job. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Right. Thanks so and much. I, awesome to talk to you. And you're doing to, okay, too. I hope to. Thank you for now. Um, but I hope to see you soon when I'm allowed to travel. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Congressman Mike Johnson coming up next. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. And then we'll take your calls. 1-866-408-7669. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one -on -one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Well, it is. It's it's appalling, and of course, uh, we would uh, we've not seen this by anyone, as you said, as records show, Democratic or Republican. The image is something that's going to say, uh, "Look at us. Uh, we're here in Israel, making a speech to the Republican National Convention, violating our values in terms of the bipartisanship and our support for Israel, violating in many ways." Uh, what he told his own employees uh, that uh, that they are not allowed it would be a violation of the law if they were to engage in partisan activities i mean the rose garden is ridiculous that shouldn't be happening but who cares <laughs> i guess you do speaker pelosi every time she's asked she starts stuttering anything about the president she just flips out just he is totally in her head and uh, it bothers her that he's even president. She must bother him, too, that he's ahead of where he was in 2016 they, when they gave him no chance to beat Hillary Clinton. Uh, joining us now, a uh, man helping the president get reelected, Congressman Mike Johnson of Louisiana, chairman of the Republican Study Committee. Uh, and first off, Congressman, I know you have a hurricane bearing down on you now. How's Louisiana responding? We're preparing. We do what we do pretty well down here. You know, we're experts in disaster recovery because we have so much experience with it, unfortunately. But this is a big one, you know, and as you guys said and explained to everybody in the country on the show this morning, this is projected to be a Category 4. I mean, we're talking about as much as maybe a 15-foot uh, waves, you know, storm surge that comes in. And then it's going to have a direct hit at the trajectory of it coming straight across the top of my congressional district. So we're batting down the hatches. We, you know, you prepare for the worst and you pray for the best. Texas, too, and, and a lot of people think the best thing to do is get out of there. Is that basically a recommendation? Yes, yeah, certainly the people that live closer to the coast, you know, the water, the high water levels are going to be a, a real, uh, I think, traumatic event, catastrophic event this time. It's potential. So you got to head north. And, and so a lot of people in the southern parts of my district in Louisiana are driving up to the northern parts. And um, we're, we're going to welcome them with open arms because we're all in this together. All right. Now back to something less important, politics. Speaker Pelosi <laughs> flipping out that the president's at the White House and that Mike Pompeo's in Israel. Do you have a problem with that? In this, if the president had his druthers, they'd be in Charlotte right now. I don't know if he, she's heard, but we're 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 forced to alter plans. We all can't fit in Joe Biden's basement. Yeah, you know this is not a game, and it's it's not funny. These comments are, have real implications. I mean, the speaker, oh. her rhetoric is just becoming increasingly unhinged, and it's dangerous. You know, my my dear friend Steve Scalise pointed out uh, yesterday when when she said. 
just two days ago, she called Republican lawmakers and the president domestic enemies in an interview that everybody saw. As Scalise pointed out, Steve said, hey, that, that's the kind of language that got me almost assassinated, right? She, this, this is, there's a lot of people that are on edge right now. We do not need the Speaker of the House using language like this. It's, it's um, completely inappropriate, and it's really out of hand. Have you ever seen her like this before? I mean, is it just me? She's doing so much television now, but she seems stu- she's so uh, upset that the president is president, she can't even get the words out. Yeah, they're they're really just driven by this hysteria. They just have such a visceral hatred for Donald Trump that it clouds their judgment. And you know, this really isn't Pelosi's style. I mean, she hasn't always been a you know a flamethrower like this. But but man, she's just come uh, unhinged. That's the best word I can come up with it. And um, and I think that she believes that the radical fringe of the base wants to hear that kind of stuff. Maybe they do, but I think regular Americans don't. It's a turnoff to them, and I think it's gonna I think it's gonna inure to our benefit, as we would say in the law. Well, we'll see. Uh, we got to. I got to bring you to another totally inappropriate. I don't know how even Democrats are pleased by this, but the one thing I think both sides want is a smooth election. Get an outcome and let everyone trust in the outcome and deal with it. Not Hillary Clinton. Listen to what she recommends Joe Biden do. Cut 29. So we've got to have a massive legal operation. I know the Biden campaign is working on that. We have to have poll workers. And I urge people who are able to uh, be a poll worker. We have to have our own uh, teams of people to counter the the force of intimidation that the Republicans and Trump are going to put outside polling places. You know, Joe Biden should not concede under any circumstances because I think this is going to drag out. And eventually, I do believe he will win if we don't give an inch. Do you believe this? Under no circumstances should you concede the election? Wow. I mean, the only voice that's more shrill than Nancy Pelosi is Hillary Clinton. And um, it just, uh, this is incredible. I mean, they're they're being very frank uh, and, and very candid about the agenda here. The, the, the chaos agenda is on the Democrat side. They, the idea that you would not concede an election is anathema to our tradition, our history, the way we do uh, the, the peaceful uh, transition and transfer of power in America. There won't be a transfer this time because Donald Trump's going to win, and they've got to acknowledge that. I mean, if it if the numbers come out the way we hope and expect, um, we, we have to maintain the system and the integrity of the election. That's everything. And I, I, I do expect that we're going to have that kind of chaos. I mean, there, there are a lot of people, Brian, as I go around my district and talk to colleagues and friends on Capitol Hill, uh, people are there's some hand wringing going on about what November may look like. December may drag on further. You know, some of these states doing these mail-in balloting <sighs> efforts. They're they're, they're going to have it's going to take them a long time to certify this election. And we have so much unrest and instability right now. What will that mean? You can't have voices like Hillary Clinton out there uh, spurring people along like this because that is going to ultimately create a, a, a fiasco for the whole country. Now you remember this is how unhinged she is. Barack Obama had to call her on election night and tell her she lost. Until <laughs> Barack Obama called her, she was going to hang out and in there. She was having a meltdown. So I remember, yeah, you, and the, you know, I do. So and there's the precedent. Irony, yeah. 
Well, I mean, that's the thing. This is what they accuse uh, Trump of, and now they're telegraphing that they're going to do exactly the thing that they, they point the finger and say about about Donald Trump. I mean, this is just standard stuff. But right now, the implications are are so high. You know, the the, the polling all across the country on both sides of the aisle indicates what we all know intuitively, and that is that people are feeling you know, insecure. They're feeling unstable. There's so many question marks out there right now. What they need is leaders in this country to have calming voices, voices of assurance. We need to be talking about what, what the RNC is featuring in these four nights of our convention, the, the idea that this is about the promise of America. It's about the greatness of America. It's about what we can do together. I, you know, I thought what the First Lady said last night, her speech was so compelling. A humble and gracious person, and and we, we want everybody to see that. But she said, "Let's remember how we come together in the most difficult times." Uh, that was a line that really resonated, I think, with a lot of people, and that is exactly what we need to be projecting right now. No, I hear you. Uh, so far, I, I cannot believe how how strong this show has been, because they've only had four weeks to get get together four days. And the president being <laughs> having a presence all four days, and I thought to myself, you know, I understand it's okay to be unorthodox, but I thought it was too much. But he's not showing up speaking. He's showing up surprising, whether it's a pardon or it's a swearing-in ceremony for new immigrants. So far, you had a lot of working class. You had a message of the cancel culture has got to stop. You had a pro-life moment last night. And the president's focus on criminal justice, too. Law and order, but criminal justice. Immigration, just not illegal immigration. What you're aiming for, Congressman Johnson, you stop me if I'm wrong, you're the professional, is undecideds and moderates. Uh, undecideds well, yeah. and independents. What do they want to hear, and do you think the, the Republican convention is giving it to them? I think we are. I have been so impressed, just as you said, with the way they pulled it all together in such short notice. I mean, we we thought we were having a live regular convention as as recently as a few weeks ago. And so the the best part about this and the reason this is so appealing, I think, to those swing voters and independents is instead of showcasing these Hollywood snobs like the DNC did, we're showing this array of real Americans. I mean, these are people from all sorts of backgrounds and fields who have benefited from the, the Trump administration's extraordinary achievements in our Republican policies. We're telling that story. And and as we know, the mainstream media never does. And so this is our opportunity to to do that, to showcase that, to this amazing list of accomplishments and the character, the genuine care and concern that this president has for all Americans. The media and the mainstream will never tell them that. And those of us that work in close proximity to him, and you've spent a lot of time with the president, we always say that. We We've always wished that everybody could see what we see, and I'm so grateful that there's been all these compelling personal stories that, that are explaining that to people, and I think it's coming through very well. I think so, so far. It's it's much better than I would have thought, but the ratings are behind the Democrat convention. Does that concern you? Uh, it, it, it's it's a concern, but it's no big surprise, of course. I mean, the way that um, that, that all the media – uh, you know, projects these things. It's a it's a turnoff to people. I wish they would tune in. I hope they'll see some of these highlights. You know, it's it's funny. We flipped over and watched CNN for about an hour last night just to see how the other side does it. And it, it, after every compelling speech, they come on with a panel and try to tear it down. I mean, it, it, there's no even a hint of objectivity. And so we know where the, the media is on the president. Ninety six percent negative treatment he's had in the last four years. That'll continue. But uh, but I think the message will resonate. I think people are talking about this, and 
you know, I, I think uh, I think we're going to do a good job with this. All right, uh, Congressman Johnson. Best of luck as this hurricane is a, it's now a Cat Four uh, barrels down mm-hmm. in Louisiana and Texas. You were going to be in Washington Thursday, but you're making the right decision by looking out for Hurricane Laura and staying home. Got to do it. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate you, brother. Great, Congressman. I just want to throw something at you. How do you feel about yeah. the president maybe coming down to that area and giving his speech, being that the focus of the country on the nay of his big speech will be there? Do you think that would be something that would be more do more harm than good or a good message? Uh, I think it'd be a good message. I know the people here love and appreciate him. He's made about eight visits to Louisiana in the last uh, three and a half years. And uh, it's always very well received. I think it would show care and concern, but I want him to do what's best for this effort. And uh, we're going to take care of things here one way or the other. Got it. Uh, Congressman Johnson, thanks so much. Thanks, my friend. All right, your turn. one 408 7669 I know you have a lot on your mind. We've got day two and a day three to preview. There are two superstars on the docket. Vice President Pence has been strong. He did a real good job last night, almost like a magazine format live in Lincoln's birthplace, walking around, talking to different people, obviously one of the first Republicans and first Republican president, and who I think was pretty good and almost as good as Trump. And number two, you uh, you had uh, Melania Trump pull it off. Now, Mike's, uh, Melania Trump was the star last night. Now, today it's going to be the vice president and the second lady, get it. But I'm going to be looking at Christy Nome and Dan Crenshaw, two rising stars on the Republican side, again, who don't need to be told what to do. They have their own constituency and understand the president. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Back with your thoughts in just a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This is not the party of John McCain and Mitt Romney anymore. They would never have a convention when people were talking about the opiate crisis or workers in the Midwest or they need to confront China, or hit the immigration uh, challenge head-on, say, these are wonderful immigrants, we're for legal immigration. It's not illegal immigration. That's a different subject. And so it's a very different party. It's more of a populist workers' party. And it, we're not, they didn't get... Uh, I, I'm for capital gains reduction and privatizing Social Security, but those aren't the issues today. And they're not talking about those things. That's an elite aristocratic party. This is more of a working party. Yeah, I would think so. When you have a lobsterman, a steel worker, a rancher, and a farmer featured, uh, I would think that there's a bit of a different party, but it really shouldn't be. But, but the, it's amazing the perception is Republicans are the party of the rich, and the Democrats are the one of the, of the blue collar and the union workers. Well, the president's not anti-union. He's worked with unions. If you're in New York, you can't work without unions. You don't build buildings without unions. Uh, you don't buy them if you can't get unions. So he is not anti-union. So that's a little different from Republic, traditional Republicans. And number two, blowing up trade deals when international trade was something they thought would keep the world peace. I understand both arguments. You understand that if you're trading with someone and you have economic relations with someone, it helps build trust and you don't really want to fight with your pocketbook. But it's not working when it comes to China, Russia, uh, and Iran. We, when you get them into a family of nations, they end up being an angry member of the family uh, who doesn't want to be there. Jerry, listening on WOKV in Jacksonville. Hey, Jerry. Hey, Brian. I uh, love your show, man. Um, 
what Hillary Clinton said made my stomach hurt. As a Democrat, that's not right. When uh, Donald Trump won, Barack Obama did the classiest thing and handed power over the way this country has done for hundreds of years. There's no way that we can do this. But Donald Trump's been spewing kind of the same rhetoric, and we need to stop. Whoever wins needs to have the power, and we need to do it peacefully, period, across the board. Are you worried about these states deciding now to send out ballots unsolicited? As a Democrat, yes, absolutely, sure. because Good. people move. Absolutely. So if you send it to a house where that person doesn't live there anymore, who's going to fill out that ballot? People do that. So I, I get that argument. I'm totally you're, you're right. They shouldn't be doing that. Not right now. And, and they should be smarter, Jerry, and not say we're against mail-in ballots because that throws off seniors who a lot of times they vote for <laughs> Republicans, too. And they mostly usually live was last time. And seniors go, OK, I'm going to get rid of that ballot. I'm not going to do it. And then they're going to go, no, no. What you do is just request it. We like mail-in ballots in the system. But it took Washington and Colorado years to get it right. They said it took them five years to stand it up. They want to get this done in six weeks. I mean, come on. And right. the post office is not the problem. They're the, they're the intermediary. It's like getting mad at the, the mediator uh, trying to mediate a divorce settlement. Don't get mad at the post office. Uh, Brian, so we may not see eye to eye, man, but I, I just appreciate what you do, man. And, and again, the, all Democrats aren't bad. We're all not left-wing I crazy nuts. Um but I appreciate what you do, man. Thank Go you. Go get him, Jerry. And if you were running for president, I'd feel much better than the forces behind Joe Biden that are running for president. Uh, Missy, listening online in West Virginia. Hey, Missy. Hi, Brian. How are you? Good. What's on your mind? Politicians, please stop with the pandering. Please stop separating people. Please stop segregating people. God created us all equally. Anything that you've accomplished in your life, if you're not going to say that you accomplished it because of your race, your skin color, or your disability, then stop blaming your failure on it. We're all equal, okay? That's the Olympics. If you want diversity, buy yourself a crayon box. I'm unaware of how the diversity at a sporting event has any outcome on the game. It doesn't. Everybody has the ability to do everything that everybody else does. Run your own race, because in the end, you will win if you keep running your race. Thank you, Missy. Wesley, WPTF in North Carolina. Wesley. Hi, Brian. Uh I'm I'm calling to pose kind of a legal question, uh, and it's about all these public officials in these Democrat cities lately, Kenosha, Wisconsin, for example. I'll use that as an example. I haven't heard any of these officials appeal publicly for calm and appeal to, to the public to allow the legal process to play out before they make any decisions about how they should feel about the event on the on the contrary, uh, this apparently this governor from Wisconsin has turned down federal help yep. even after it was offered. And, he, and I know the president why, tweeted it out and told it, told everybody they, they, he asked for 125 National Guard. Thanks. That's like having none. Why? Why can't why can't the governor, having turned down, having not used all available legal means to protect the public, why is that official not legally liable to those people, those poor people who just yeah, they make you cry when you see them on TV when they're talking about the, the loss of their businesses that they've had in their family for 70 years? Yeah, and they why? did nothing wrong. We still don't know what happened with the shooting. And now you're burning up a tire store. You're destroying a diner. You're blowing up a used car line. Fantastic. 
New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. This hour is brought to speak to General Jack Keane, but I want to speak to you, and I want to go over all the uh, first two days uh, and what will happen on day three of the RNC. That's going to be first and foremost. We're also keeping an eye on this uh, massive storm about to slam into uh, the coast of Louisiana and Texas. It is a Cat 4 now. Man, that's going to affect everything, not only the people directly, but if you think about the news cycle and where the attention is going to be, And this happened a few years ago, I think uh, two Republican conventions ago, the one in Tampa. I remember they basically scaled it back because people were concerned about travel uh, getting there and the the storm is about to hit. And I think that's going to be the case. I think a lot of people are going to stay out of Washington and Texas and Louisiana, and they should. But Dan Crenshaw of Texas will speak tonight, another star uh, for the Republican Party, Governor Christy Noem, too. And I just got to tell you, we're heard in New York and and around the world. And we know New York is the, the major city. Probably the top city, at least it was up until eight months ago, in the world. And it's not, I mean, diversity, safety, we had it all. Financial sector, fun sector, great parks, we had it all. But now we have almost none of it, including a battle now between a comedy club owner and Jerry Seinfeld. And now we have our mayor. You can't be this bad of a person, let alone mayor. But listen, he just came out with a statement. There is no indoor dining for 25,000 eateries in this state, in this in the city, but it's in the state. When asked why you are not opening restaurants, do you know what he said? Well, indoor dining is really for middle class and upper class people. 25, 200,000 200, people work in the restaurants from chefs to hostess to waiters to owners and managers. How many rich people do you see at 2 in the morning at a diner? How many wealthy Rockefellers do you see grabbing a slice of pizza at a deli? These are eateries. They can't let people sit down. They are not going to exist. And in comes the fall and winter and outdoor dining goes by the wayside. Thousands of people are losing their jobs, their livelihoods, and their bank accounts. And this mayor, who's never signed the back of a, never signed the front of a paycheck, is deciding their fate. These restaurateurs have to get together and just open up massively because the cops are not going to go shutting them down. They hate this guy too. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Breaking news overnight from Kenosha, Wisconsin. At least two people were killed there last night. Another wounded when shots rang out during protests over the shooting of Jacob Blake by police. We are still learning about the victims and about who allegedly opened fire on the third straight night of clashes in the city. Here we go. Kenosha unrest hits new heights after the shooting of Jacob Blake as he struggles to recover from being shot seven times at close range. Innocent people in buildings are being beaten and burned. I don't know how that makes anything better. Why do we still know so little about the case itself? One thing is clear. The governor overwhelmed, unable to act. The president has offered help. He won't take it because he is a Democrat. Number two. Joe Biden should not concede under any circumstances because... I think this is going to drag out, and eventually I do believe he will win if 
We don't give an inch. Right. That makes total sense. Totally irresponsible. What is the Dems' reaction to the RNC? And can you believe Hillary Clinton's irresponsible comments and advice to Joe Biden? Don't ever concede. And even though the DNC's ratings were better right now, the bounce numbers for the convention for the Dems, not good. Zero to two points. Number one. Instead of tearing things down, let's reflect on our mistakes. Be proud of our evolution and look to our way forward. Uh, that is Melania Trump, obviously. Night two of the RNC, diversity of topics, speakers, and yes, more surprises. And it's driving the Democrats nuts as the headlines are the first lady uh, is really stealing the show after she got ripped last year because they say her, last time because they say her speech was too similar to Mrs. Obama's. Well, she knocked it out of the park, and unlike Major League Baseball, she did it in front of a live audience. Highlights, recaps, and more are coming your way. So I thought there was a lot of things going on last night that I think were noteworthy. Number one, the Dems have their stars, a lot of big-name celebrities. I don't think you care. What the Republicans have is workers, not just saying, hey, I'm a truck driver and I like Donald Trump. We all know that. But what about uh, this is what I do for a living, and this is how my occupation has benefited from the regulations. This is what has happened with the trade deals. And that's why we heard from a lobsterman in Maine, steel mills, uh, uh, steel mill workers, ranchers, farmers. And this is how why we saw when the president was told, that, you know, these working class jobs are one thing, but they kind of went away with the pandemic. No, they went on hold. And by the way, if you're a plumber, if you're a steel worker, if you're a, a welder, you haven't slowed down at all. So the trades are doing fine. And if you look at these men and women that do this stuff, they seem to vote for the president because he seems to have them in mind when he does just about everything. The diversity was there again. The Kentucky Attorney General, you probably didn't know who he is. Now you do. His name is Daniel Cameron. He's African-American. Man, he ripped into Joe Biden by basically telling him what we all know. And Joe Biden always misspeaks, not because he stutters Jake Tapper, but because he doesn't know what he's talking about and he's not careful with his words. Now, the president, hardly somebody is uh, afraid of blurting things out. But I want you to hear David Cameron, first off, on his message to Joe Biden about what he says about blacks thinking alike and they better vote for him. Cut 19. So the question is, will we choose the path that gives us the best chance to meet those universal desires? Or will we go backward uh, to a time when people were treated like political commodities who can't be trusted to think for themselves I think often about my ancestors who struggled for freedom. And as I think of those giants and their broad shoulders, I also think about Joe Biden, who says, if you aren't voting for me, you ain't black, who argued that Republicans would put us back in chains, who says there is no diversity of thought in the black community. Mr. Vice President, look at me. I am black. We are not all the same, sir. I am not in chains. My mind is my own. And you can't tell me how to vote because of the color of my skin. Wow. And by the way, the underlying tone to this is why the Democrats keep Joe Biden in his basement. Because he got himself in trouble when he's on stage ad-libbing and said, the Democrats and the Republicans are going to put you back in change a couple of years ago. And then what he said the other night uh, when asked about the Hispanic vote, he says, they're not like basically blacks. And I'll paraphrase. Uh, They are very diverse not mono- monolithic like the black community. Really? So the, everybody who's black thinks the same? That was the intimation. And then when he tells that morning show host, uh, uh, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. 
that turns off people like nobody else. And I was, I was struck by Chuck Todd of NBC, who reported that the Biden camp is getting concerned that Trump is making gains with black men. So they think he's going to keep staying single digits when it comes to African-Americans because of Charlottesville and because he doesn't walk around and, uh, and he's not Barack Obama and he didn't run with Barack Obama. But I don't think that's the case. I think he's making legitimate gains. And when you see Herschel Walker say what he said, when you see David Cameron say what he said, Daniel Cameron said what he said, uh, when you see what, uh, what uh, Senator, um, uh, Senator uh, Scott said, Tim Scott said yesterday, you see it over and over again. And, of course, Ben Carson's been uh, the brain surgeon who's now uh, director of HUD. When you see what they say, you got to look at this. If you're, if you're black and you say to yourself, listen, I don't love the generations in some cases are stuck in the same place. And we get all these promises and we don't get any delivers. And then in comes John Ponder. Who's John Pardon? Ponder? Robbed a bank. He got caught by the FBI. He got put in jail and changed his life. He was convicted. But when he came out, he wanted to make it all better and did. The president noticed, and he took action. And it's the surprise of just about everyone after John uh, tells his story, and we didn't meet the FBI agent that arrested him, who is now his friend, then this happens. Cut six. So now I'd like to invite John's wife, Jamie, to join us as I grant John, I'm not sure you know this, a full pardon. So I don't know if you know that, Jamie. Come on over here. It's Thank just you. an honor. And uh, you have done incredible work. Congratulations to both. Thank you, sir. Richard, thank you very much for the job you do. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you. So that was great. People don't like it. I I have no idea why they don't like it. Uh, They said that, well, it was on camera. Van Jones, cut seven. You know, I love that he did it. I don't like where he did it and the way he did it. So it's a very good thing uh, to show the country that redemption is possible. But I think it cheapens it. When you do it in a political convention and you do it in a political way, because then it begins to look like you're just doing it as a stunt. Van, you can't credit him too much. You had a lot to do with the criminal justice reform. But where do you want him to do it? If it just appears in the furthermore of the Washington Post or New York Times, no one's going to notice, especially if Trump does it. But if he wants to tell people what criminal justice means and that you do have a second chance and that he does want to give people a second chance, my goodness, we know if he's had business failures, he's had many chances. That's one of his grace attributes he doesn't talk about. But I love switching to the, the focus of the day. It was the first lady. I love the walk. I love the live crowd. I thought Bill Clinton's walk was iconic before the DNC. I think it was at the L.A. Forum. He went around and around. I thought he was lost. Then when he finally appears, the crowd goes crazy. I don't know if you remember that. It was Al Gore's convention when he was getting nominated. Well, the first lady beat him down the colonnade. She worked, walks like a model because she is. She, uh, she had the live crowd there, and she had an outright appeal to women, outright appeal to men. And she talked about her husband in a humane way. She had a salute to teachers, nurses, and she addressed violence in the cities, and she addressed our past. First off, I thought it was really important for him to, uh, for her to point out uh, the looting and the violence, too, and now it's got to stop, but understands our past when she went to Africa and saw it up close and personal, and she was, she was got a tour of what was the slave trade back then. When we come back, uh, I'm going to take your calls on this. We have a whole half hour, one 408 But I want to get General Jack Keane to weigh in on the president's three years foreign policy, Mike Pompeo's comments last night, and what could be happening next in the Middle East. Brian Kilmeade Show. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. President, to move the U.S. Embassy to this very city of God, Jerusalem, the rightful capital of the Jewish homeland. And just two weeks ago, the president brokered a historic peace deal between Israel and the United Arab Emirates. This is a deal that our grandchildren will read about in their history books. You know, as a soldier, I saw firsthand people desperate to flee to freedom. The way each of us can best ensure our freedoms is by electing leaders who don't just talk, but who deliver. Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State in Israel, delivering that address to a partisan event, but talking about the president's victories overseas and in the Middle East. Is it true that this will be in the history books of uh, an honest history books of American history and diplomatic victories? Let's ask General Jack Keane. Uh, he actually lives history and studies it, uh, and Fox News contributor, of course, uh, chief military advisor. General, welcome back. Not glad to be here, Brian. General, put it in perspective. I think we're going to have Kushner, O'Brien, and maybe the Secretary of State get on a plane and land from Israel to uh, at the United Arab Emirates. How significant is that? Well, I, I do think it's uh, it's a geopolitical transformational event that's taken place uh, with normalizing relationships between the Emirates or UAE and uh, and Israel because. It, it really reflects the major changes that have taken place in the Middle East in, in the last 20-plus years. And, and that is, is that the central issue of stability and security uh, is no longer the Palestinian-Israeli issue. It, it really is Iran attempting to dominate and control the Middle East. And you can see the control they have in Lebanon, Syria, the influence in, in Iraq politically, and the civil war uh, that they began in Yemen uh, and toppling the government there. And, and this, this has become the major st- stability, security, and what, would, what promises uh, you know, for the Middle East a region of prosperity. All of Iranians' malign aggressive behaviors is interfering with it. So that is what is enabling the Arab countries uh, to, one, have better relationships with Israel, which they've had for a number of years, and they've done that very secretly and privately. Leaders from each country have have visited uh, the the countries, and uh, the uh, amount of uh, classified information that they share, not only on the Iranians, but also on radical Islamists, which is the second threat, it's become quite significant. And, and the other thing I think is, is, is interesting here, Israel and the Emirates are the two most advanced civil societies in the Middle East, technology-wise, certainly uh, innovation. And they both have enlightened leaders of Mohammed bin Zayed in the Emirates and um, Netanyahu in, uh, in Israel. They're both strong, confident, bold, and willing to, to take risks. So it's that is why they were the first ones, you know, since Jordan and Egypt to establish relations. And both of those countries, Jordan and Egypt, are contiguous to Israel. In other words, they share a border. And there were other issues 
that were driving uh, that peace accord. But this is the first non-contiguous country uh, to normalize relationships. It will not be the last. Uh, I believe Bahrain was likely to be the next one and, and possibly Oman to follow that because negotiations are already taking place, Brian, with both of those countries. And to send a message to Iran, too, and I think it's significant. Uh, those will both be significant. It's up to the, the public to pay attention. So there's something that got my attention. China, China is flexing its muscles, conducts Navy drills in four separate regions to signal its readiness to handle us uh, and uh, Taiwan, to send a message to Taiwan. What message do you get from it? Well, there's no doubt that President Xi, since he took over in 2012 and 2013, has become the most aggressive and most ambitious uh, leader since Mao Zedong. And, and he has uh, the so-called China dream, which is his strategic objective, to not only control and dominate the Pacific region, at the expense of the United States, which heretofore has been the dominant power in the region, but to replace the United States on the world stage as the world's global leader. And, and most significantly, to change the international order as, as we currently know it. So it's, it's much more uh, in concert uh, with the goals of the Chinese Communist Party. And so militarization, uh, certainly of, of the region and, and using a, a blue water Navy globally uh, in, in a way that the United States has done in the past is, is part of their, their strategic objective. Two things have, have given Xi the confidence to really drive forward when he began his move in 2013. One was the establishment of a robust, secure economy that had double-digit growth up to that point. It yep. doesn't now, but it did then for a number of years. And it was a mature, sophisticated economy uh, driven in large part by the United States and others. And the second one was the capability that they developed in their military, where they have the confidence knowing that they can challenge the United States militarily. Those are the two things that thrust President mm -hmm. Xi forward uh, with his ambitions and his aggressiveness. Can't take our foot off the gas when it comes to military. It's going to be looked at as weakness. General Jack Keane, four-star general, uh, the chairman of the Institute for the Study of War, and our senior strategic analyst. Thanks so much, General. Yeah, great talking to you and your audience, Brian. Uh, same here. We uh, always benefit uh, from hearing from a New Yorker, especially with our New York crowd now, too. Uh, back in a moment with your phone calls. one 408 Brian Kilmeade Show just getting started. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Like every parent in this country, I feel there are so many lessons to teach our son and responsibilities as his mother, but there are just not enough hours in the day to do it all. I remind myself that I'm more fortunate than most and still have days that I look for wisdom and strength to do the very best I can for him. To mothers and parents everywhere, you are warriors. In my husband, you have a president who will not stop fighting for you and your families. 
Uh, that is the first lady nailing a speech that went about 25 minutes. It covered so much from the unrest to the history of slavery to her travel to what her husband's really like, how much he cares for the country, uh, being a mom, as you just heard, and some of the challenges, especially with the coronavirus, the price everyone's paid, what she's able to see. It was pretty comprehensive. It was thorough, well-delivered, but not according to Bette Midler. She tweets out, oh, God, she still can't speak English. Really? How tolerant of her, who hasn't done anything significant in 25 years, except for a comment on President Trump. Mario's listening on WABC. He's in New Jersey. Hey, Mario, how inappropriate is that? You just took my thunder. I was just going to talk about that. So I'm kind of like an average guy in New Jersey, and I try to make a difference. I really do. But when I heard that, I was like, what's the hypocrisy? Like, if somebody on the conservative side would have done that, to an immigrant on the other side last week, can you imagine the outrage? They would have been all over CNN and MSNBC. Not to mention that blowhard Joe Lockhart turns around and calls the kid from Covington a snot-nosed kid. I mean, where's the tolerance here? I mean, it's such a hypocrisy. She was gracious. She was awesome. And, I mean, she's got to be one of the, the most you know, honorable first ladies that we've had in a long time. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure the way I'm going to vote this time around, because, you know, last time I didn't vote for either Trump. I'm not a Trump fan. I'm an independent voter in New Jersey, which is a Democratic state. And, you know, if you go out and vote Republican in New Jersey, it really doesn't make a difference. But I got to tell you something. I'm tired of this cancel culture. And I really think the Democrats really need to take a hard look at themselves. Because, you know, uh, I tell you, I think that if you look at these last two days, it's impossible to paint the Republicans as a party of older white men. If you look at who the political people are, if you look at the ones that play, uh, that are playing a big role, if you look at those people on stage, uh, those aren't shills. Those aren't facades. They're real people making a real impact. And uh, Nicholas Sandman being called out as a snot-nosed, entitled kid by Joe Lockhart, who's supposed to know communications, uh, working in the NFL and Bill Clinton during the whole impeachment mess. He was a bunch of inappropriate tweets, but you could mock all you want. I think they're getting worried. I absolutely think they're getting worried because Biden can't campaign. Trump can and is, and he's trying to knock every one of their objections about him down. Virginia is where we find uh, – WRCN is where we find Virginia, I should say, on Long Island. Hey, Virginia. Hi. How are you? Good. I was just actually calling because I wanted to kind of make a statement and ask a question. Okay. Um, um, it's about the um, the mail-in ballots. I'm really concerned about all this, and I don't know why this wasn't addressed, you know, earlier on when it first all started. But is there any way that he could just, like, maybe do an executive order and just say, no, we're not doing it this time? Not that we'll I can you, tell. Like, I believe that it's a state-run uh. process. That's the issue. But he is challenged. The campaign is challenging it in New Jersey and Nevada legally. You could do that through the I campaign, know. but not sure. through the president. So my thing is they're not ready to do it. Well, how could they change it legally then? They just decided like that? Yeah. Without, I mean, where was the law that did that? I know. Well, you can do it as a state governor, I guess. But you can't do it as a president <laughs> to any state. Thanks, I Virginia. Mean, I'm, yeah, we're all concerned about it. Frank is in Queens. Frank. 
Yes, uh, good morning, Brian. Uh, I just called this morning uh, because uh, I just wanted to make a small statement in regards to uh, Ms. Uh, Tiffany Trump's stating that uh, there is uh, a line and uh, misconceptions from the Joe Biden camp. I just want to say one thing. I went to school with one of Joe Biden's daughters, and I remember one day I flipped uh, classwork in her face, and she politely invited me out into the hallway and said, you know, in Scranton, Pennsylvania, we're very respectful people. We we don't uh, uh, disrespect anyone's race, creed, or color, and we're very polite, and we have raised with manners. So when I heard Tiffany Trump saying that uh, there are bad things in the Joe Biden camp, I, I was a little bit turned off because I think that maybe Tiffany Trump might not know everything about Joe Biden, and she shouldn't be saying those things. So I don't understand what happened. You see- she, she grew up in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Joe Biden hadn't been there since he was like 10. She grew up in De- – didn't, he, well, she, didn't her kids grow up in Delaware? Okay. So you're saying that you flipped – you did something rude to her, and she came back to you and wasn't rude to you? Is that your point? To uh, one of Joe Biden's daughters. That's correct. Right. So what I'm trying to say is I have no idea about his daughters. I don't know much about Tiffany. What I would say is Joe Biden's got problems with Hunter Biden, not Bo Biden. Bo Biden was – above board attorney general. Hunter Biden seems to be a train wreck from his drug abuse to going out of RO to, to failing out of the military to some of his dicey investments uh, going off his uh, father's tailwinds. I think he has an issue. And I think if you're going to bring up the Trump stuff and have these attorney generals into uh, try to upend the Trump organization and go into be relentless in getting uh, trying to get Donald Trump's financials, this should all be on the board. And I think it should be brought up. I mean, they're not sparing any expense. You got Adam Schiff is trying to do even more. Adam Schiff's like, we're going to go try again to get Mueller documents and again to get financials. So if they want to look into Trump's background, that's fine. But I think the bigger story is the attorney general in Kentucky. The bigger story is the humanization of the president uh, with Andrew Pollack, what kind of guy he is. Uh, the person that Tim Scott describes, that Herschel Walker describes, that Lindsey Graham has experienced. These are people that didn't know him and know what he's like behind closed doors. I think to say he's unacceptable and can't do the job while not looking at his accomplishments, well, that's what this RNC is about. And they're actually doing a better job than I even thought was possible in this pandemic. Andy in California. Andy. Hey, Brian, good morning. Thanks for the call. Um, Thank you. Hey, I thought you brought up a very interesting point about the Republican Party no longer, at least the RNC, no longer highlighting the the party aligned with the ultra-rich. And I I didn't understand what was in the post office bill that was supposed to provide some kind of a major tax break for for the rich. And I was wondering if you could kind of elaborate on that a little bit. No and idea. It seems like that pendulum has swung yeah. for the, the ultra-rich, the elite, back over to the Democratic Party. And, and the thing is, there's a big story about how these billion, a lot of these billionaires are not, are not fueling the president right now. And, you know, he's called up a few and said, what's the deal? But he's, his money is through the roof. And they say, why? Well, it's the people and, the, and, and there's people supporting him in very small donations. Originally, it's hard to get donations if you're a, close to a billionaire. People are like, really? I'm mailing him $25? Now they realize it's part of the process and it ferries down. But I do think that if you watch this Republican convention and you see 
uh, ranchers and farmers and steel mill, uh, steel mill people, lobstermen, but not in outfits like it's Halloween. Telling stories how they benefited, I think that's got to be unnerving to Democrats. What it is unnerving is to people like Bernie Sanders who said, well, I'm saying a lot of the same things as President Trump about bringing jobs home, paying more and bringing jobs back. These international trade deals on the surface give us cheaper products and help our economy, but it also makes us susceptible to being cut off, obviously, for PPE. Well, we're a country, it costs too expensive, it's too much to build, to make masks here. So let's make them over there, bring them back, and they'll be cheaper for more. Great. The only problem is when everyone needs them, we don't have them. When the world needs them, we don't have them. And guess what? We're not going to be the ones infecting the world more than likely. It's always going to be China. And they will buy everything up quick as soon as they know something's wrong. And we later would find out uh, that they're poisoning the world. It's happened with the H1N1 virus. They collected all the PPE and they're doing it again. Thanks, Andy, over in California. Debbie over in Virginia. Debbie. Hi there. I just wanted to say that, you know, the comment about uh, Melania not speaking English well or hasn't learned the language, um, I thought it was Joy Reid, but I, your caller told me it was Bette Midler. I was thinking, you know, doesn't Melania speak fluently like five or six other languages? Yeah. So, you know, it's just disgusting. It is. I don't get it. Since when are we making fun of people with accents? We're this is the United States of America. People, if we used to have a whole country, we, we used to, everyone coming over here used to speak another language. It was never a problem before. I think Arnold Schwarzenegger became the number one box office smash hit for 20 years. He still speaks with a thick accent. I don't think anyone ever made fun of him that I can remember. Our diversity. Yeah. That's all our, our diversity. And that, yet they're supposed to be so inclusive. And yet they rip apart everything different that somebody has. You know, it's just, it's just so disgusting. I do. I Listen, there's a couple of things going on that Democrats couldn't can't explain. Number one, the diversity that's been shown on this RNC. Number two, had the, this concerted effort to convince African-Americans to vote for Republicans. He, he's not letting up on that. Not only that, the opportunity zones which were targeted for communities that need it most. Sadly, it's a lot of minority communities. They weren't getting invested in lot, uh, fast enough. So now he's telling federal government to build federal government buildings in opportunity zones to allow other things to flourish around it. He's been relentless, and he's portraying that as the president, whether it's through uh, criminal justice reform or it's through polished politicians like the ones we had a chance to see. I want you to hear a little bit more from Daniel Cameron. He talked about Joe Biden earlier. We played that clip. And here's why he says he's a Republican. Cut 20. Lincoln said any nation that does not honor its heroes will not long endure. And for Republicans, our heroes are those who propelled an imperfect nation ever forward, always striving to make life better for everyone. Even as anarchists mindlessly tear up American cities while attacking police and innocent bystanders. We Republicans do recognize those who work in good faith towards peace, justice, and equality. You took down those statues, and Democrats ignored it, and they mocked Republicans for making a big deal of it. But the average American hated it. They hated the fact that you're spray-painting George Washington, you're tearing down Lincoln, you're displacing Frederick Douglass, Thomas Jefferson uh, moving at a Hofs University because it was offending people who were going to the commons for lunch. 
Thomas Jefferson offends you, you're in the wrong country. Number two is if you don't like Jefferson in a certain place like William and Mary, where he went to school, or Virginia, the school he invented, or Hofstra, a school that liked Jefferson and trying to build off Jefferson's legacy, like writing the Declaration of Independence and a constitution for Virginia, the state, then pick another college. And I, I was struck by this. Don Lemon said this. The other thing that goes along with tearing down statues is the rioting that's taking place in Seattle, Chicago, Portland, Philadelphia, and at times New York. Quote, the rioting has to stop. It's showing up in the polling. It's showing up in the focus groups. That's Don Lemon. He's seeing the riots. He's seeing who's doing it. He's seeing it's not help bring races together and bring equality to America. It's not It's having the negative effect. Did you see the video of these diners in Washington, D.C. being screamed at by Black Lives Matter activists who, by the way, are almost all white, demanding that these diners who are just having lunch or dinner put their hand up in the air in in symbolic, I guess, in, in symbolic support of Black Lives Matter. And these women say, no, I'm not doing it. Tell me that image, that video rolling out, helping further racial justice in America. It doesn't. Independents are saying there's one party that doesn't mind it, and there's one that's offended by it. Moderates, independents, undecideds, that is why the Wall Street Journal shows this is closing up. That's why, as you're going to hear, many people think there's a pathway forward for uh, Donald Trump to win. In fact, Axios's Mike Allen wrote about that today. Uh, on Axios, and here's he's co-founder of this newsletter that I think you all got to get, Cut 30. How Trump could pull off another upset. Both NBC and Axios has reported what a deep hole President Trump is in. So you can look at state polls, you can look at national polls, you can look at demographics, you can look at the topics that are moving voters. All of those look like a very deep hole for President Trump. But look at some of the data another way, and reporters start to get flashbacks to summer 2016. So uh, you have uh, state polls like we're seeing where Joe Biden is up, but in some cases, Hillary Clinton was up even more in 2016. And once again, out there, you have this large vote of people that uh, may not uh, be connecting with pollsters, may not be fully reflected in polls. And I'm telling you, it's tightening up. I talked to Mark Rubio off camera today, and he says, oh, my goodness, they are really tightening up. Go ahead. The problem with Hillary Clinton could campaign. I don't think she was a good campaigner, but she had a lot of energy. She wasn't lazy. No doubt about it. She had a good staff. Biden's got a really good staff, too. But Biden can't campaign. Number one, he's going to use the pandemic as an excuse. The other thing, he's terrible. He can't ad lib. His message stinks. We've heard it before. His track record's not strong. You think he's got experience in foreign policy? Congratulations. You're all ass backwards in almost everything you did. No one really focused on that now. In domestic policy, go back to Barack Obama. Good luck with that. No one really loved Barack Obama's domestic policy. I have news for you. I'm going to come back and take some calls, more calls, and find out if there's indeed more to know. A lot to say as we get ready for day three. Brian Kilmeade Show. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts.
From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. In closing, I'd like to speak directly to my father. I miss working alongside you every single day, but I'm damn proud to be on the front lines of this fight. I'm proud of what you're doing for this country. I'm proud to show my children what their grandfather is fighting for. I'm proud to watch you give them hell. Never stop. Continue to be unapologetic. Keep fighting for what is right. You are making America strong again. You are making America safe again. You are making America proud again. And yes, together with a forgotten man and woman who are finally forgotten no more, you are making America great again. Dad, let's make Uncle Robert very proud this week. Let's go get another four years. And it's been crazy. Can you imagine being in the Trump family and finding out, oh, my cousin's writing a tell-all book and sold a million copies. What a bad person my grandfather is and a terrible person my father is. Okay, great. And then you find out that Melania's former chief of staff, is they had a fallout, and she taped a bunch of conversations. And now that's going to come out. Isn't that great? And then Robert passes away, and then you find out your aunt was ripping your dad, who is the younger brother. Unbelievable. Uh, let's go to uh, let's go to Joe WABC. Joe. Yes. Good morning. Yes. Good morning. Uh, first, I'd like to preface my comments by saying that you know, with regard to the police, way too many people look at it through exclusively a racial prism. Now, you know, police brutality is something that is definitely an issue. I mean, it, it's exemplified by that video that you saw come out of Wisconsin uh, and also by the George Floyd death. You know, but I have to I have to, you know, really, stre- you know, stress this point is that most victims of police brutality happen to be white Americans like Justine. Yeah. Dennis I, haven't, in Minnesota. I haven't seen that stat yeah. yet. I think there's a lot of great policemen. If they want to do some reforms in the academy, we could work on that. The Republicans were working on that. The Democrats stopped it in its tracks. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Appreciate you listening. Thanks so much for being there, everybody. 1-866-408-7669. The number to call. We're coming to you from New York City, but heard around the country, around the world. Talking about the RNC, but keeping an eye on that Hurricane Laura about to slam into Louisiana as well as Texas. Listen, especially where we're from and, you know, almost everybody listening right now could talk about one natural phenomenon, catastrophe that's hit them. And here you talk about Sandy back down. They haven't had a big hurricane, I don't think, since Rita. Uh, one thing about Texans and Louisianans, they actually been uh, they've been through a lot lately. So they're experienced, much like Floridians. And I even think our area now in the Northeast, we feel like we've been through a lot and we're almost schooled in how to do it. Sadly, recovery FEMA as well. So we'll keep an eye on that. And it might become the dominant news story as we get set for day three of the RNC, which has been remarkably entertaining and interesting. And who would think without celebrities and newsmakers, you have people in there who are everyday blue-collar people making speeches, coming from the heart, humanizing the president, talking about accomplishments. And it doesn't sound like an infomercial to me. I find it endlessly interesting. Uh, maybe because I'm more interested in people than I am celebrities. I really don't care what you, uh, Louis, uh, what is her first name? Yeah, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who's hysterical. Um, she's got three names. I'm not really sure why. Is, the, is, her, is her middle name Louis or is that her old name? Do we know? Can we look that up? Because it's a confusing name. But she's hysterical, but it was just out of place. 
Kerry Washington, I didn't really need to see her. What we're seeing here is something totally different. We're opening up with Cardinal Dolan. You know, you're opening up with a Hispanic pastor. And then you're opening up with Charlie Kirk, a a 24-year-old who's galvanized the next generation of conservatives. I find it really, uh, really fascinating when you have a lobsterman, a steel worker, uh, a farmer, and a rancher. And I've... And they just talk about how they're impacted. I think it means more. So I'll take your phone calls, but let's get to And we got Rudy Giuliani this hour. And to me, the best analyst in politics, Carl Rove. So don't move. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Breaking news overnight from Kenosha, Wisconsin. At least two people were killed there last night. Another wounded when shots rang out during protest over the shooting of Jacob Blake by police. We are still learning about the victims and about who allegedly opened fire on the third straight night of clashes in the city. That is, of course, uh, CBS's uh, Gail King. Uh, Kenosha unrest hits new heights after the shooting of Jacob Blake as he struggles to recover from being shot seven times as innocent people in buildings are being beaten up and burnt. Is that the reaction? Why do we still not know much about this case? One thing is clear, that family is all class and this governor is overwhelmed and the president wants to step in. Let him. Number two. Joe Biden should not concede under any circumstances because... I think this is going to drag out, and eventually I do believe he will win if we don't give an inch. She is. Thank goodness she's not our president. She gets grates on me every time I hear her. Hillary Clinton telling the circus on Showtime. What is the Dems' reaction to the RNC? And can you believe Hillary Clinton's irresponsible advice to Joe Biden? You just heard it. I hope he has too much class to actually do it. Don't ever concede a race if you lose. Do they care about the country? And even though the DNC ratings were slightly better, the bounce numbers for Joe Biden, not good. Number one. Instead of tearing things down, let's reflect on our mistakes. Be proud of our evolution and look to our way forward. Night two of the RNC. Diversity of topics, speakers, and yes, more surprises. It's driving the Democrats nuts as the headlines of the first lady knocking it out of the park, and she did. Unlike Major League Baseball, though, she knocked it out of the park, and she was able to do it in front of a crowd at the Rose Garden. Highlights, recaps, and more are coming away. First off, in terms of uh, Eric Trump, did a fantastic job. Uh, In terms of an up-and-coming star, in terms of, that's Daniel Cameron, Kentucky's Attorney General. Fantastic job. You'll hear from him. In terms of foreign policy, outlined wonderfully by Mike Pompeo. But I don't know if it's worth the controversy because he did it in another country. Many people want to pounce on that. In terms of drama, you had it with John Ponder. Who is John Ponder? Guy who robbed a bank, went to jail, reformed his life, turned it around. And then the president decided to do this for him after, first here is John Ponder expressing what life is like getting a second chance. Cut one. Today, praise God, I am filled with hope, a proud American citizen who has been given a second chance. My first help and support came from the unlikeliest of places, the FBI agent who arrested me, Richard Beasley. And Richard Beasley ends up being friends with them. When he got out, they had lunch, and they end up working together to get other people out. Cut three. My hope for America is that formerly incarcerated people will be afforded the opportunity to take advantage of the fact that we live in a nation of second chances. And he My- does get a second chance in the, in the surprise of the night. A couple of them, the president uh, pardoned them. Then the president met with would-be 
uh, immigrants to this country who have passed all the tests and the background checks, and they are now became citizens. He watched as his Homeland Security Secretary swore them in. The other big surprise for the night, last night, uh, two nights ago, was hostages. Uh, then you had the immigrants. Then you had the pardon. And the president got out, didn't give a speech. I thought it was fantastic. Melania Trump shined. She talked about being a mom. She talked about the coronavirus, how it's changed everything. She talked about the need to get back to school. She talked about our history and what she saw when she went to Africa with the slave trade and how we all should get together when it comes to looting and violence. Understand where it came from. Yes, she does. But cut 10. It's got to stop. I also ask people to stop the violence and looting being done in the name of justice and never make assumptions based on the color of a person's skin. And, Instead of- and I think that's important. She moved on, though. You need suburban women. I'm not saying this inauthentic, but you need suburban women. Do they have them? No. Does she address that? It's not been addressed that much, except for there was a moment where a lot of the, the empowered women on the Trump team, campaign and White House, got together to talk about what the president's enabled them to do. I'm talking about Kellyanne Conway. I'm talking about Mercedes Schlapp. I'm talking about uh, Sarah Sanders. I'm talking about Kaylee McEnany. You don't see her in front of the camera, but Hope Hicks. These are powerful women. So if you want to label the president a sexist and a racist, and you say that and and the crowd cheers for Democratic audiences or they clap at home, it doesn't fly with people that know him. It doesn't fly with people who study his staff. Because he treats people that attack him, Male and female, the same way, he goes for the jugular. They say he disrespects women. No, he's actually treating them equally, if you can understand that. And I think you can. But for Melania, she also understands that women right now, between the riots, between the looting, between the pandemic, moms are more important than ever. Kyle Levin. And now I have a special message for the mothers of this country. This modern world is moving so fast. And our children face challenges that seem to change every few months. Just like me, I know many of you watch how mean and manipulative social media can be. And just like me, I'm sure many of you are looking for answers how to talk to your children about the downside of technology and their relationships with their peers. Okay. Just to give you an idea what you missed, if you're busy, get it. The impact. President's policies on lobster and steel mills, ranchers, farmers. I also found out that cows can now milk themselves. I'm serious. I had no idea. I don't spend enough time on farms. Working class jobs and regulations, what it means. They explained. They didn't say, I'm voting for Donald Trump, high five. They explained what Trump policies did, especially in Maine. They need Maine. And they need Susan Collins to win. The cancel culture. An example, Nicholas Sandman, a teenager that fought back and saved his life, career, his family. Now he wants to go to law school, and he wants to help others who are being defamed. He took on networks and won. John Ponder, I just told you about. Immigration, I just discussed with you. And the selection of Rand Paul, significant. Why? There's a political enemy that he took apart on the debate stage, who he doesn't agree with a lot of the time, but has won Rand Paul's respect, and vice versa. Why? Because the impeached Rand Paul stands for something, number one. Number two is Rand Paul does a lot of good stuff, and Donald Trump writes the checks when he was a businessman to support him, and even afterwards. And also, it came pretty clear that Biden's unscripted moments have provided the backbone of criticism. When he speaks off the prompter, he's a mess. 
When it comes to race relations, he's a mess. And he's been called out by African-Americans who have done this thing called become Republicans. Believe it or not, it happens. Even though he said, if you don't vote, if you're black and you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Didn't happen. Isn't happening. We got proof. When we come back, Rudy Giuliani will join us. And then Carl Rove will break it all down. And then right now in between, I'm going to go up on Instagram live and I'm going to interact with you guys. You'll see behind the scenes, see some of our sponsors, uh, and we'll talk some more. So hop online, hop on Instagram. I'm about to go up. And when we come back, the mayor, former mayor of New York. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I haven't cried one time. I stopped crying years ago. I am numb. I have been watching police murder people that look like me for years. Mm. I'm also a black history minor. So not only have I been watching it in the 30 years that I've been on this planet, but I've been watching it for years before we were even alive. I'm not sad. I don't want your pity. I want change. Uh, I just thought the family was first class, and I understand the frustration. Uh, Jacob Blake, uh, he got shot seven times in the back. What he was doing prior to that, we still don't know. But I do know this. Uh, he is right now paralyzed, and nobody wants that. They immediately gave him aid like they should have. And that was Latetra Winman, sister of Jacob Blake, who has five kids who were in the car. Rue Giuliani is a law and order guy, but he also knows fairness. And as much as the NYPD, uh, he re- respected them. If a cop was out of line, he'd uh, he'd rein them in. Mr. Mayor, uh, you're doing a great show. It's always great to get your insight and your access to this administration as a lawyer and great friends of the president. But I got to get your take from what we know in Wisconsin. Uh, what would be the first thing you would do as mayor, knowing that the people are incensed and the riots are taking place while the investigation is going on? I would I would uh, put the facts out. Uh, I think because I saw in New York before I was mayor under my predecessor how there was a big riot in Washington Heights. Remember that because over four days there was no explanation for the killing of Kiko Garcia by the police officer and his mother said he was a choir boy and had these children and whatever. Turned out that Kiko had 27 arrests or something like that with the head of a major drug gang. And there was actually a, a, a audio recording of Kiko threatening to kill the police officer. And the riots never should have taken place. Now, I don't know if there are. I mean, I did find out a day later that the man was wanted. There was an, a warrant for his arrest for uh, domestic violence, sexual abuse, whatever. I have no idea what connection that has to it. They were responding to a domestic violation, domestic abuse uh, uh, call. But then we have no facts. We know that, and then we see the man running into the car, and we see him get shot. Everything after that, i got to speculate. So I don't know if the cops acted properly, improperly, criminally. So as the mayor, I would try to put the facts out. And if the facts weren't available yet, I would— give a speech to my city and ask the governor to join me right. and say, wait, you know, wait, 
Wait until we get the facts. That's what we have a criminal justice system and, and for. That's true, Mr. Mayor, but they're coming from the outside now, the Black Lives Matter group. They've, they've torched uh, countless buildings, destroyed lives. Yeah, but that shouldn't happen. That, whether, even if the police acted horribly, yep. that shouldn't happen. I, no, I and, hear and, you. And that, and so that, they, they have 120. This only happens in Democrat cities. Uh, this doesn't happen in a Republican city. It never happened to me. I had three very questionable police shootings, one totally justified, one totally unjustified. And one that was very questionable, where the police eventually got acquitted, we had demonstrations for four months, and we didn't have a single riot. Because they knew if they rioted on me, the first one would get arrested, the second one would get arrested, the third one would get arrested. And if I had to arrest 10,000 people, I would do it. You just don't get to riot. You don't get to throw things. You don't get to bang up things. You don't get to smash things. When that happens, you have an indulgent mayor who doesn't know the difference between law and uh, uncivilized behavior and dangerous behavior. So, you don't let it start in the first place. So will Every we single so, one of these mayors. I hear you. Uh, Mr. Mayor, i got to bring you to the fact that we saw seven shots of this guy getting into a car, and there were kids in the back. Having no, said no that— No a riot. No, 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 no I hear you. Shot. But let's just talk about the incident for a second. I want you to hear Doc Rivers, who you might know because he starred for the Knicks for years and just personifies class, now the coach of the Clippers— Here's what he said. Cut 35. Just watching the Republican uh, convention and this, they're spewing this fear, right? Like, all you hear Donald Trump and all of them talking about fear. We're the ones getting killed. We're the ones getting shot. We're the ones that were denied to live in certain communities. We've been hung. We've been shot. And all you do is keep hearing about fear. It's amazing why we keep loving this country. And this country does not love us back. Your reaction. I don't hear the well, fear. That, that's a totally ridiculous statement. It's a totally ridiculous statement about loving this country, et cetera. Look, the danger of getting shot by a cop is about one-tenth of one percent. The danger of being shot and killed by another black is about 99 percent. So for every eight or ten people that are shot by cops every year, 7,000 are killed by other black men. So, hey, Doc, how about we deal with that? And stop blaming it on the cops. Yes, they make a mistake once in a while. But why are they in your neighborhood 10 times more than anybody else's neighborhood? Because they don't like you or because you're killing each other 10 times more than anybody else? And they're trying to protect the innocent victims Mm -hmm. that your people are killing, like that little boy, Devil Gardner, who was shot. How come his life doesn't matter, Doc? How come uh, uh, Captain Dorn, who got shot in St. Louis, his life doesn't matter, Doc? How about the 25 people that were shot and killed by other blacks in Chicago last weekend? Don't matter, Doc. So how about you deal with the real problem and stop the bull? The real problem is the heavy level of crime in the black community. Now, I have the right to say this because nobody saved more black lives than I did when I reduced homicide by 65 percent. Seventy-five percent of those homicides were of black people. And I took cops out of white neighborhoods where the white neighborhoods had voted for me, and they were angry at me for doing it. And I put them in Harlem, and I put them in Bedford-Stuyvesant, and I saved thousands of lives. Well, Elijah Cummings never did that. Charlie Rangel never did that. I don't think Doc Rivers ever did that. Mr. Mayor, I got to bring you to the last thing. We only got 90 seconds. That's a good point, but 90 seconds left. So far, the RNC has had two home runs in my mind. What about yours? And I put 70 cops in prison in my life as a prosecutor. So, and, and one of the cops that was involved in an incident went to jail for 25 years for abusing a black man. 
So I know the difference. Gotcha. And I know when you can mislead people. And what Doc is doing is seriously misleading the African-American community. It's the con job the Democrats have played on them for 50 years, probably described best in Horowitz's book, Blitz. Right. Uh, Mayor Giuliani, thanks so much. We'll see you today. We'll Thank listen you. to you today on WABC, which you can get online, okay. wabc.com. Take care. You, you'll also have a, a, you'll be live in the local area with great access to the president and the White House as the president gets ready to speak tomorrow. But tonight it's about the vice president and it's about up and coming stars like uh, Dan Crenshaw. Uh, all coming your way. Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. So now I'd like to invite John's wife, Jamie, to join us as I grant John, I'm not sure you know this, a full pardon. So I don't know if you know that, Jamie. Come on over here. It's Thank just you. an honor. And uh, you have done incredible work. Congratulations to both. Thank, Thank you, sir. Thank you. Richard, thank you very much for the job you do. Thank you. It's fantastic. Thank you. Now, Van Jones on, CBS, on CNN did not like that, but the Carl Rove, let's bring him in. You can follow Carl Rove at, at Carl Rove uh, on Twitter. Carl, welcome back. Great analysis. What do you think about that moment? Well, an unusual moment because, you know, it's granting a presidential pardon as part of a political convention. But you uh, so the, the, people are going to quibble about that, but but deeply emotional and deeply powerful. I mean, here's a here's a man who uh, his story is remarkable. He is befriended by the man who arrested him. And when he emerges from prison, he's found faith and has now devoted his life to helping others uh, come out of prison and and return to a life in normal society. And you have to, you have to, you know, that's, that's what America's about. It's about second chances. I think so. Uh, the president talked about surprises when I heard he was going to appear all four nights. I thought, Oh my goodness, all four speeches, but it's not, it's swearing in uh, legal immigrants and it's doing things like that. But learning about a, a bank robber who reformed, who befriended the man who arrested him. It should be a movie. And then he ends up getting pardoned. This is very yeah. different for you. Love history and history of this stuff. Are you okay with this? Well, look, the, the, this the, the, it's not unusual for the for the candidate to appear every night. George W. Bush appeared by a satellite, making his way to the Philadelphia Convention in 2000. So it's not unusual. What's unusual is it's a sitting president. And, and look, I, I, this is a decision by the president in unusual times to do these events from the White House. And I hear the Democrats out there criticizing, and I hear that. But I don't remember them criticizing when Jimmy Carter literally announced his reelection campaign in 1980 in the East Room of the White House. It was a political rally in the White House. So uh, we are in different times. Uh, the president has made, I think, uh, extraordinarily effective use thus far of uh, the powers of incumbency. And uh, you know, it's that's that's the, the the people out of power get to gripe about it, and the people in power get to take advantage of it. How do you feel about uh, Mike Pompeo coming to you from Israel 
Uh, I want you to hear what the critics are saying about it as he talks about the foreign policy. But the people that are upset by it, uh, predictably, are Nancy Pelosi. And here's what she said, cut 27. Well, it is, it's, it's appalling. And, of course, uh, we, we, uh, we've not seen this by anyone, as you said, as records show, Democratic or Republican. The image is something that's going to say, uh, look at us. Uh, we're here in Israel making a speech to the Republican National Convention, violating our values in terms of the bipartisanship and our support for Israel, violating in many ways uh, what he told his own employees. Uh, that uh, that they are not allowed. It would be a violation of the law if they were to engage in partisan activities. I mean, the Rose Garden is ridiculous. That shouldn't be happening. But who cares? She's unhinged about Trump. She just despises him at a level that makes George Bush look like her best friend. Yeah, well, look, uh, it, if you say something, you ought to act that way. So if she is upset about the violation of what she considers to be norms, then maybe she shouldn't have stood behind the president of the United States at the State of the Union address and ripped up his speech in a, in a uh, sort of petty display of her petulance and anger and hatred of the man. So, uh, look, are we, are we in a bad place in American politics? Yes. Uh, are we in a place, though, where, where one of the people complaining about it is, uh, is violating those same norms? Yeah, absolutely we are. I mean, Speaker Pelosi. Uh, I, I understand why she's angry. She 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 has been stymied by this president in so many ways, and um, but you know that doesn't justify her behavior or uh, give her a free uh, path to criticize him uh, without acknowledging that she herself is violating norms in many many ways. Think about this: we, we our country is in a grave situation. And there seems to be widespread agreement that there are simple steps that we need to take. We need to think about what we do to exp extend some level of additional support for people who are on unemployment, maybe not $600 more a week than they would normally get, but something. We're, we're running out of, out of uh, airspeed and altitude on the PPP program, which gives loans, forgivable loans to small businesses to keep their workforces in, involved. And, and, and the point, you know, the Republicans have a trillion dollar plan. She has a three trillion dollar plan. The White House sits down and in good faith, led by Mark Meadows, begins to negotiate. I talked to a senator who was privy to those negotiations. The Democrats would say, we want, you know, $150 billion for X. And the Republicans would come in and say, well, we're prepared to give you, you know, $100 billion for X. And the Democrats would say, no, we've decided we need $300 billion for X. This, the, the senator in question is one of the most mild-mannered, thoughtful people on the face of the planet desperately trying to find areas of agreement where they could each compromise and move forward. And yet in negotiations led by Lancey Pelosi with her little Sherpa boy, uh, Chuck Schumer, what happened is that the, Pelosi would, would raise the ante. And why? Because she thought that she could score political points by, by, by forcing the administration to either totally cave or not end up with a bill, and she could blame them for it. Well, shame on her. This is a moment where you need to put partisanship aside, and just as we did in, in 2008 with the TARP bill, find a way to get something done that will help the country in a moment of grave challenge. So, uh, Carl Rove, our guest, obviously, uh, they, they, they've hit a lot of different areas, and I know you have uh, pre-thought a lot of this, 
but working class and jobs. You could have your celebrities. I'll take a lobsterman. I'll take a steel mill worker. Oh, I'll take a rancher, yeah. a farmer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'll take I'll take the dairy farmer from Wisconsin. I'll take the Democratic mayor of a small town in the Iron Range of Minnesota who says the jobs are coming back because of Donald Trump. And you're right, the lobsterman. I thought that was very. I thought he was very good. I'll t- I'll tell you what. I'll take I'll take the frontline workers who are meeting with the president on Monday night, and we got the truck driver. And we got that 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 uh, nurse who goes out of her way to say, Mr. President, I, I have something to say. And, yeah, no, absolutely. This is one of the things. Look, the Republicans have personalized the message, and they've shown the enormous diversity of voices within their party. And, and like Daniel Cameron last night, I thought wow. he was terrific. I, a home run. And, and, and the Democrats can't help themselves. There is the elegant, thoughtful, empathetic warm, personable first lady of the United States. And Bette Midler goes out and says, well, she doesn't speak English. Well, look, I live in Texas. We got a lot of people who speak with an accent in Texas. Uh, You know, they don't like being told they can't speak proper English. And there's Bette Midler representing sort of the ethos of the Democratic Party, a Hollywood celebrity who goes out and slams uh, the first lady of the United States. We ought to, I thought we were welcoming of of immigrants. I thought we were welcoming of diversity. I thought we were e pluribus unum, out of many one. And then we got we got the voice of the Democratic Party this morning in Beth Midler. So there was about a two point I looked at the morning consult. I don't know what you think of that poll, but they said the president Biden got barely a bump, got two two uh two points uh, off his convention. Uh, you know, call as much as I, I couldn't be more impressed. And I think both of us when we see something wrong, we say it. Even if you know you you feel one way or another another about a candidate, I could not believe how how effective the first two nights were. But if they have two more nights as effective, do you project in this environment uh, with being in a virtual convention because you don't have the loud you know raucous crowds and the stadiums and things like that? Do you project a bounce from this? Well, I think there'll be a bounce, but I think it'll be modest. And that's because we're in the era that we are. As I said the other day on a brilliant program with three very personable and I think thoughtful hosts. Oh, I thought you Fox were on Fox and Friends. Friends. <laughs> yeah, I was on Fox and oh, okay. Friends. So as I said the other morning, we're in an era in which there isn't much of a bounce. The last big bounces we had were in 2000, where Gore got an, he went first, his convention was first. He got an eight point bounce. Bush's convention was second, and he got an eight-point bounce. But otherwise, we've had two out of the last four uh, uh, have actually seen a drop. Kerry uh, saw a drop, and Romney saw a drop in their respective conventions. Now, President may get a slightly larger bump than than, uh, than Gore because the person who holds the second convention four out of five times uh, in, in the last uh, five elections there have been uh, the, the, the second convention, whoever held the second convention, that party had a slightly bigger bounce. But we're a polarized country, and we shouldn't expect it to break open like it did in, say, 1992 when, when uh, the, the combination of a great convention for, for uh, Bill Clinton and the withdrawal shortly before the convention of Ross Perot uh, gave, gave Clinton a big bump. We're just not in that kind of an era anymore. I want you to hear this. And this is what Hillary Clinton, uh, you talk about unhinged. She she looks like she has not slept since she lost the election in 2016. Listen to her advice for Joe Biden. Joe Biden should not concede under any circumstances because I think this is going to drag out. And eventually, I do believe he will win if we don't give an inch. 
Carl, we remember well, what happened with one state. Yeah, well, and look, I talked this morning to a very smart lawyer who follows these issues. He's concerned that there's a deliberate effort by the Democrats to plunge us into a constitutional crisis. You may not know this, but there was apparently a several-day session. Uh, it was revealed in the Boston Globe uh, in which John Podesta, Hillary Clinton's campaign manager, was involved with political and with polls and lawyers gaming out all the challenges that could be put forth to an election outcome after November. And uh, I point to you, David Rifkin and Lee uh, uh, Casey's article in the Wall Street Journal uh, on the op-ed page talking about um, the, you know, the process by which, uh, for example, they, they made several points. The election, the Constitution gives Congress the right to set the date of the election. It's been set at, at, at the first Tuesday after the first Monday in, uh, in November. So that's the, that's the election day. December 14th is the meeting of the Electoral College. By the 8th of December, the states have to settle on their electors by, by the popular vote. And if not, they have six days for their legislature to convene and to select the electors. But they, the electors have to meet on December 14th. So what happens if we have a New York primary, Democratic primary? Remember, she late June, but we don't know until August that uh, who, who's won some of those, uh, those primaries. What happens if if the vote count is so screwed up in states like New York and California that where you know where we've had where we've had elections take six or eight weeks to get resolved, what happens if between the November third and December eighth they can't count all the votes? What happens? Because by December eighth they have to have the electors selected, yeah. or they've only got six days for the legislature to meet and select them before the, the electoral college meets on the fourteenth. What happens if that gets screwed up in some big states? Listen, I read that, and that's why they keep saying things like Donald Trump will lose the election, but he won't leave. How will we get him out? Wait a second. I didn't even bring that up because they game planned it out, and Podesta playing Donald Trump thinks all these scenarios. We're seeing it now, Carl. If you are concerned about a state deciding on a dime to suddenly mail everybody ballots, not Oregon. They're used to it, Colorado. Why wouldn't you be concerned as a candidate? It's not that you don't like the post office. You don't trust the voter rolls. Governor Christie right. says he didn't trust the voter rolls, and he was there for eight years. He couldn't straighten it out. But, but Governor Murphy trusts the voter rolls. Why would, if we want an honest outcome, there's no American that should be happy with these states deciding to mail you ballots unrequested? That's correct. That's the the. the the you know sort of universal uh, mail ballot is a real problem because like in, in, in look in Nevada they are they are mailing they know, they already did in the primary they mailed out two hundred thousand ballots uh, to people that the post office said no longer live at that address and and they and, and so they got sent they 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 laid in uh, on top of the apartment mailbox God knows what happened to them and then they were some of them came back and I, I was taken by a postal worker who said. I can't believe it. We're sitting here. These are unsecured. These, somebody could come in, pluck something out of a, pluck one of those envelopes out, and vote. And 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 who would be the wiser? Now they do have to have verification of the sig- of the signatures, and and there are procedures in place. But but that's part of the reason why it's so cumbersome. I'm actually going to write about this next week in the Wall Street Journal. I'm doing a bunch of research on it. Watch for my piece a week from Thursday. I'm going to write about this subject in the Wall Street Journal. Carl, I know in athletics you peak at like 25. 
You know, and every once in a while there's a Tom Brady peaks at 43, right? Get it. Understood. But I'm getting for pol- for political analysts like you, I think you're hitting your peak now. I, and I don't know what the age bracket is, the medium age bracket, but because I've never seen you more insightful and interesting. Well, aren't you nice? And I'll send you the $20 gratuity you require each time you say something nice about me. I really <laughs> – it'll, it'll it doesn't it'll require – to that PO box in the Cayman Islands that you had me send him, you had me send him to. So don't worry, I'll, it'll be in the mail today. It's where I send your ballot. Thanks, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I appreciate it. Talk to you again soon. Uh, All we, the best. You got it, sir. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Back to wrap things up. Just a moment uh, for this hour, anyway. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. We've got a lot of calls, a lot of great guests, but I think it's time. Uh, the staff agrees. More to know. More to know. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy says gyms in the state can reopen September 1st, 25% capacity. I worked out for the first time in New York yesterday. Sadly, I was over at Crunch. Very few people were there. That kind of bothers me. Did you have to wear a mask? Uh, I wore a mask. How was time. it working out? I got used to it. Really? I mean, I literally, I was on, I was on the elliptical for a while, and I go, wait, wait a second. I, you know, I wore the surgical mask, not the thick one, so that okay. was key. Uh, normally, I walk around with uh, what do you call that thing that you just keep on your neck and you lift up? Oh, was it like the neck gaiter or something yeah, like yeah, that? Yeah, the gaiter. Uh, but listen, I'll work out. I just need to work out. Okay, I need to get in the gym. But to clarify, the first time you worked out at a gym in New York, you've yeah. been working out this whole time. I have been working out. I have been. Don't let our listeners think you have. Uh, The Peloton also has been fantastic, uh, and I'm still going to do that. Next, New Jersey has the least sexy accent in the U.S., according to a survey, while New York came in second. Uh, The top 10 sexiest accents, according to people I don't know, Texas, New York, Boston, Alabama, four, Chicago, five. Wait, how could you be the least sexiest and most sexiest? I'm not sure. Well, I don't understand. If New- yeah, exactly. If New Jersey is awful, but New York is great, they're pretty close to each other. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but you can tell the difference if you are studied. I just know in our business, you're best to lose it all. Next. Lucky Charms marshmallows are available in limited time pouches. Nobody likes the Lucky Charms marshmallows. They actually crunch. You're wrong. There are No way. My you- three-year-old is obsessed, and our neighbor is very kind and buys Lucky Charms just for him. He just picks out the marshmallows. Can I just bring this up and don't take it personal? Yeah. Your three-year-old has an immature palate. <laughs> he needs to grow. He needs he to be needs more to sophisticated. Grow. Just Magical Marshmallows will be sold in six-ounce packages for $3.99, featuring eight flavors typically included in cereal boxes. I'm just concerned about the sugar high my son's going to have once these are purchased for him. And lastly, I'll add Livet. Speaking of, speaking of high, our mayor is always high. We know that. That's been an issue. He is now saying in New York City, eating establishments... People who want to have indoor dining, they're just middle class and rich. He's not concerned about that. He's not concerned about 25,000 eateries, 200,000 workers. I have news for you. If you want a burger in a diner or a pizza in a pizza place, you're not rich, you're hungry. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.